Hey there, and Happy New Year. You're listening to the Choose to Think podcast, where we focus on changing our brains based on what we think. That's right. We practice the art and discipline of taking thoughts captive. We use the mindset of gratitude as our pivot point to healthier, more productive thinking. And as a result, what happens? Well, we walk with renewed minds. Transformation is only one thought away. I'm so glad you're here because this tells me that you're also on the path to lasting joy, emotional freedom, clarity of mind and focus, and that you're pretty jazzed up about your purpose in life as a kingdom influencer. Shy away from the hard stuff? No way. I'm inviting you now to pull up your chair or fluff up your pillow, turn the volume up as you work around the house, put your sneakers on for your daily walk, or put the key in the ignition. Today's episode is a milestone representing one year of weekly podcasting. We did it, Brain Changer. And I couldn't thank you enough for the time each week that you've spent and invested in tuning in. And you know what? I can't think of a better episode to end out this year. This conversation with renowned and award-winning Christian author Rhonda Dragomir cuts right to the heart of the matter. You don't want to miss a single minute. This is Victoria Walker, and I'm so glad you're here. Have you joined the free 15-day Fired Up Mind Challenge that launches January 4th and when we go live on Facebook? We're going to stretch ourselves during seven live sessions. We'll talk brain-gut connection and the power of the word and our words and thoughts on you know, basically every obstacle we may face in this life. Come on and join me on that challenge. I would love to have you. Let's have fun and start 2021 on our very best footing and with a mind 100% renewed and say, I'm giving away a t-shirt and wristbands during every single live session. Plus I'll have a grand prize valued at $4.97 for those of you who complete the challenge. Now there are more deeds to come, but make sure to save your seat now. Just go to victoriadwalker.com slash challenge to sign up. That's victoriadwalker.com slash challenge. Rhonda Dragomir is a contributor to Chicken Soup for the Soul Anthologies. She's co-author of the Curriculum for the Women's Impact Network. And if this isn't enough, she was named the 2019 Writer of the Year from Serious Writer, Inc. She and her husband live in Wilmore, Kentucky. With personal insight and humor, Rhonda invites her readers and listeners to consider a central truth. You are welcomed into the arms of a forgiving God who wants to shower you with his boundless love period. Well, today we take a deep dive into a concept that Rhonda has coined as the orphan heart. She will walk us through fear, rejection, perfectionism, futility, unworthiness, and ultimately how to live like an heir to the king, enjoying the inheritance of peace and joy as God promises his children. Now, okay, I know all of this sounds a bit fluffy, so just keep listening as we unpack the orphan heart. Ask yourself as we go if you have any of the symptoms that Rhonda describes. What's more, Rhonda shares so many stories from her life that help all of this to make sense in really practical applications. You're going to love that part. You know, if 2020 gave you a run for your money in the spiritual and emotional departments, this episode may be just what you need to set things straight once and for all. 
Okay, and what are the C2T merch designs? We've got actually two, and you're going to know why after you listen to this, but they say this. One is, I choose to receive God's love. And the second is, I choose to believe God loves me. In other words, we believe and receive. And that's a powerhouse, all right. So please stay tuned. I'm so excited today to have on the Choose to Think podcast my friend Rhonda, and she is going to wow you, I think, with the message that she has to share. She's an acclaimed Christian writer, and we're going to actually discuss the orphan's heart. And you may think, wow, how does all that connect? But Um, I'd like to unpack that a little bit and invite Rhonda to start from the very beginning and tell us a whole lot about herself. So Rhonda, thank you so much for agreeing to appear on the podcast. I appreciate your being here. Thank you, Victoria. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and I hope that the Lord will speak to others uh, among your listeners who are like me. I made a huge discovery when I was 31 years old, and it really changed my life. And that's the topic I want to share today with your listeners. That's awesome. Yes. And you can just start from, from the very beginning and, and give us your, your backstory and bring us up to how you became this wonderful author. And, uh, we're, we're, we can't wait to hear that. I'm excited. Well, thank you. I'll share a bit of my testimony. My name is Rhonda Dragomir and I'm a writer. Um, I live in Wilmore, Kentucky and right in the central part of Kentucky and horse country. I love horses. I love the bluegrass region, and I love living here. I'm a pastor's wife, and uh, I won't tell you how many decades because I have a very young-sounding voice, but it's been several decades that I've been a pastor's wife. And all the while, I have been on a journey of discovery, of um, liberation, of changing my thinking. I love the name of your podcast because the way I think greatly impacts the way I feel about myself and the way I interact with other people. And uh, one of the reasons I've chosen to be a writer is because I want to share in a very non-threatening way some of the discoveries that have brought me freedom in my own life. I believe uh, freedom, when you're set free, the, the um, responsibility you have is to reach behind you and around you and find other people that might be in similar bondage and to set them free as well. So one of the reasons I've chosen to write and I'm writing fiction is because I want to, I want people to understand what it means to have an orphan heart. Um, now, when, when people look at me, they say, Oh, poor thing. You, you, you were an orphan reared with not without a mother or a father. That's not true. Actually, I had a wonderful, mother and father, godly Christian parents. And in fact, I was only about five days old when I first went to church because my daddy was the pastor. And both of them uh, became social workers. They were very attuned to me and to my needs. They lived well into my adulthood. In fact, I only lost my mother two years ago. They were wise, very loving, faith-filled people. So I don't see me as some little poor little Oliver Twist uh, you know, may I have some more, please? But I did develop the heart of an orphan. And you may say, well, what does that mean? I mean, orphaned as far as my relationship to God. Um, as a young girl, I remember 
uh, certain insecurities. And I began to make decisions, what I would call inner vows. And along the way, and I'm not sure why, I decided I wasn't good enough to deserve love, not the love of my parents and not the love of my God. And you may say, Rhonda, how did that happen to you? Well, I can't explain it. You know, some people think that you come into the world as an infant, you're just this blank slate, tabula rasa. I mean, I studied this in college. And then people ride upon that slate, and that's how, who you become. I really don't subscribe to that. I think we come into this world with certain dispositions to um, emotional uh, habits and thinking habits. And we make decisions, even as children, little children, we make decisions. And some of these vows, these inner vows that I made as a little girl, um, made me feel that I was not good enough. When I would be, um, when I would be disciplined as a child, I remember uh, little me, little Rhonda, mini Rhonda, made some decisions. Um, it went like this. Now, well, I did a bad thing. So now I don't deserve to be loved. It didn't matter if that bad thing really really was a big thing. If I told a little lie, which what child doesn't tell a little lie? If I did a little thing, I would feel I don't deserve the love of my parents. And so I began to um, distance myself from them and from God. And then I would look around at all my friends. And I would say, well, she got what she wanted, but I didn't get what I wanted. Now, I am going to date myself, Victory, because um, when I was in uh, elementary school, I wanted a pair of white go-go boots so bad. I would have done oh just about anything to have them. Do you know what I mean? I remember those. And All I my little friends you. had white go-go boots, and I wanted some so bad that my parents didn't have the money. So I looked at all, everyone else, and I felt ashamed, and I felt embarrassed, that I didn't measure up. So she got what she wanted, but I didn't get what I wanted, even though I prayed. So guess what decision I made? God doesn't love me as much as he loves her, right? That's the decision we make. So I think, well, if I'm not good enough, then what do I need to do? And I will ask you, listener and Victoria, what do you have to do if God doesn't love you as much as he loves other people? Well, I would say you have to somehow prove that. But Rhonda, let me just interrupt you a second, because I'm wondering exactly what those inner vows were. If you could give some examples, you have said a few like negative affirmations, like I'm not good enough, for example. But what you know, when I think of a vow, I think of a promise, like, because this happens, I am never going to do such and such again, or something along those lines. So can you can you pick apart or or even identify specific vows that you had, or were they more um just actions and choices that you made as a result? Or or are you aware of the vows? Well, I think I have become aware of them, Victoria. And I will tell you, I am in my 60s. I've given that away. But when when I got to the point where I'm looking around at other people and comparing myself to them, comparison is such a trap because it often lies about who we are and who other people are. But I got to the point where I thought, well, God doesn't love me as much as he loves other people. Well, then if I try harder, if I try harder to be good, 
then God will love me more. And kind of unwittingly, I think my parents kind of built into this because don't we all, we praise our children for what they accomplish. And so as a little girl, I decided I was going to be the best. I was going to be the best at everything. I was going to be the best student. I was going to be the best speller. I was going to be the best person. I was going to memorize the most verses. I just set myself on this path of achievement. So the flip side of that was anything that I perceived as, as being less than, I indicted myself. I indicted myself. I convicted myself and I sent myself off to jail. And I said, you don't deserve the love that God wants to give you. And as I got into school, of course, this got very uh, exaggerated. I was always top of my class and very responsible and always trying hard to please everybody. So one trap was just try harder and you'll be loved. A second trap was uh, you have to make everybody happy because everybody has to love you. Because who really loves you if you don't love yourself and God doesn't love you what's left? And for me, um, performance really became my major trap. And I judged myself worthy or unworthy of love based on how well I performed. And Victoria, I don't mind telling you, I performed very well, always at the top of my class, always winning the awards, always coming in first. But it was not a good thing. <laughs> it was right. not a healthy thing. So the vow would have been... Like, by golly, I will do my very best. I will be number one. I will be on top. Something along those lines was that kind of internal manifestation of the vow itself or the promise, the commitment that you made. And does that make sense? Is that what the vow actually was? Okay. That was part, part of it. And the other part of it was almost like a plea. Please notice me. Please mm. see how hard I'm trying. Please um, affirm that you see how hard I'm trying. I remember, um, oh goodness, it was middle school. And language is my thing. Math is not my thing. I tell you right now, math is not my thing. If we didn't have calculators in this world, I would be in big trouble. But <laughs> um, I, w- I excelled in languages. So I brought home a report card one time to show to my father. And I had all A's, several A pluses, and one A minus in math. And my dad looked over my, and I was just waiting. I remember this so clearly, and it's been decades ago. I was just waiting for him to say, wow, you know, I am so impressed. You've done really good. I'm proud of you. And he said, well, Rhonda, this is a great report card. But can you tell me here, we've got an A minus. What happened in math class? And suddenly it didn't matter anymore that I had straight A's. Mm. All that mattered was that he saw I had an A minus and I was less than. I tell you, I was devastated. Not in front of him because I never showed any of this to my parents. You know, your listeners, that their moms or dads, they may be saying, oh, what if my child is making these inner vows? How will I know? Well, you can't necessarily know because children uh, will cover it up. They don't always reveal to you what those inner vows are. And I never revealed to my parents. But I, I was I told him, I promised him I'll try harder, Daddy. And I went up to my room and I was I just fell. And he did not really even understand what he had done to me in that moment. 
by measuring my performance as being not enough because I already feared that that was true. You know, you're, you're speaking my language as well, Rhonda. I can so relate to what you have so eloquently said and expressed. And I've got, a, I, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can so relate to this. And it's such a trap. And I wonder how you, if you could explain how this developed in your life, fast forward a little bit into what you call a full-blown soul sickness. Well, I tried so hard to be the perfect everything, but you know, and I got pretty good at being a daughter. I got really great at being a student, right? And then all of a sudden I became a wife and think about the baggage that brings and how to be the perfect wife. Well, then I became a pastor's wife. Oh, heaven help me. <laughs> right. Heaven help me. I'm a pastor's wife. And now, and I've, I tell you, Victoria, I graduated college when I was only 19 years old a full bachelor's degree, and I'm 19. Why? Because I'm on this cheap. Oh, my heavens. So I married uh, my husband, and we, he went into ministry. He's older than I, and um, went into ministry. And all of a sudden, everybody's watching me. And guess what everybody does to a pastor's wife? They evaluate. They measure. I remember when we, he became a senior pastor, we were in North Carolina, and the, the chairwoman, of the personage committee, who was an old, blue-haired, southern lady with a big southern jaw, came around and she gave me a tour of the house. And she, we stopped in the kitchen. She says, now, I want you to look at that sink. I look at the sink and it's a sink. She goes, see how it shines? And I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I don't ever want to come in this house and see that sink looking anything but like this, and I better never find food in the trap. Well, what do you think I did? <laughs> I mean, I, anytime anybody rang the doorbell, I was in a frenzy. And, and, you know, you cannot live under that kind of constant stress without it just doing tremendous damage on the inside. I developed stomach problems. I developed full-blown physical sickness. I got irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, I got physically worn down as well as mentally and emotionally worn down. We'd go to church. I'd be looking at my outfit top to bottom. I developed a weight problem and people were, you know, kind of, I was wondering if they were judging me for that. Um, always saying the same, saying the right thing, doing the right thing, showing up every time it was expected of me, opening my home for, for hospitality, whether I felt like it or not. I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And at the very heart of it was the part of me that wanted so bad for God to love me like he loved everybody else. And sometimes I would cry out to him. I would say, God, don't you see how hard I'm trying? But sister so-and-so, she said this, and that means I am not measuring up. I am failing. Forgive me. Help me. Please love me as much as you love everyone else. And I will tell you, I have a very loving and affirming husband. And he could not understand because he didn't have an orphan heart. He couldn't understand, why are you so frantic? I mean, he'd find me on my hands and knees, scrubbing the floors with a toothbrush, you know, or getting in the corner, all the all little kinds of things you did. Because I had set myself on this track that in order to be loved, I have to be perfect. 
And it came from this heart of, of feeling not like a true daughter of God, because what father does not love their child? But I had cut myself off from God like I was an orphan and did not deserve his love. And, oh, I tell you what, underneath all of it, Victoria was tremendous anger. Now, imagine being trying to be a good Christian pastor's wife, and underneath is this bubbling cauldron of anger. I was so angry, and I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't even really tell my husband. Once in a while, he got told by, by how I, I just, you know, erupted like a volcano, and he would be, what? I mean, people did not understand that I was pouring myself out, but not from a good place. See, I was trying to earn their approval. So I wanted always to shine. Well, when I felt like I didn't shine or my skills didn't shine, then I, I just, I would get so angry. I would get so angry. And it seemed like the target was always moving higher and higher and higher. I was like a high jumper, right? And you can get over it at certain heights. But so, one, one, soon enough, that bar is going to be so high. And, I, and guess who was raising the bar? It wasn't God. It wasn't the church people. It was me. I was raising the bar of perfection. And finally, I raised it so high, I could no longer get over it. And um, I got depressed. I got fearful. Um, I wept and cried a lot. I would go to church on Sunday morning and paste a smile on my face. I would go home on Sunday afternoons and literally be sick all afternoon until it was time to go to evening service. And then somehow I'd get myself together and get to church. 31 years old. And I was miserable. Hmm. Would you say, Rhonda, that having the orphan heart would be synonymous with people-pleasing and perfectionism? I would say people-pleasing and perfectionism are components of the orphan heart attitude, but they're not all of the orphan heart attitude. Um, it spills over into relationships where um, you're jealous of other people's success. Um, some people with orphan hearts, and I, I never did this, I don't think, but would sabotage other people's success. You know, the, the, the uh, people who have a delicious recipe and they leave out one ingredient when they give it to somebody else. <laughs> you mm. know, that kind of thing. And then that, that servants comes from a heart of earning God's love and to feel good about myself rather than knowing I had gifts that, that I could pour out with joy. Um, it affects relationships too. Um, some people with orphan hearts cannot affirm their children at all. Because what happens if their child turns out to be better than them in their own, you know, measurement? Um, some people become very possessive and materialistic, uh, people with an orphan heart, because their possessions and what they earn and what they I gather gives them identity, rather than knowing that their identity is in being a child of God. Do you see? So it, it is a systemic problem that sends out tentacles and attitudes into a, into a person's life. And it's insidious because you may not even recognize that it's the orphan heart that is fueling that attitude. And before we go on, let's take a quick break from our sponsor. 
the um, the giving or the doing was always because I want you to love me. It's not necessarily wanting you to do the same for me in return. You know, I remembered your birthday. Now you remember mine. It was more um, I I wanted to earn people's love, and if I felt they didn't love me, then I was in that angry place, like, well, why not? Am I not a worthy person? Do you see? And the anger was more uh, intrinsic, angry with myself, but more than that, angry with God. I very seldom got angry with people because guess what? People who get angry, they're bad people, you see? And I was trying so hard to be good that I wouldn't let myself express even, you know, reasonable anger. One time at our church, I was doing all their secretarial stuff, and I was paid a certain, I wouldn't even say what dollar amount per hour. And all of a sudden, I, I got so disabled, I felt I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it was just too much. I had to give up some things, so I decided to give that up. Well, the church went out, and they advertised the job for like uh, 50% more than they were paying me. And and do you know how that hurt me? And then we start around it and going on to, to trying to find somebody. None of the candidates worked out well enough. So they came back to me and they said, well, Rhonda, would you keep doing it? Because, you know, you're doing it so well. And they, they just really laid it on thick. And I said, well, sure, I'll be glad to do it. Guess what? They didn't raise my pay. Now, that made me really angry. But did I go to them and say and express inappropriately, look, you were advertising this job for this way. Now, now that I'm doing it and you say, oh, well, I'm going to do it, you're going to pay me less than, than what you were going to pay a total stranger? Did I stand up for myself? No. Why? Because that would have made me a troublemaker. That would have made me a whiner, complainer. So I did it. But, oh, I was angry and resentful. And that um, attitude of, first of all, of really suppressing what would have been a, 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 an appropriate question for them. And, you know, I just, honestly, I don't think they were trying to hurt me. Most of the people that hurt me were not trying to. You know, now, now later on, they did hurt me on purpose. But, <laughs> you know, at this point in my life, they were not trying to hurt me on purpose. It was just they didn't think about it the, the way that I was thinking about it. And, and eventually, all roads of anger left back to God. Why did you put me here? Why did you put these people in my life? Why don't they love me? And at bottom line, with an orphan heart, why don't you love me, God? Why don't you stand up for me? Why don't you do this thing? Why don't you solve this problem? Why don't you heal my body? Why don't you give me a child? I went through 12 years of infertility before we adopted. Why don't you fill in the blank? with whatever it was that I thought, if he loves me, God, if you love me, you will do this. And when this did not happen, then, yep, I knew it. He doesn't love me. And I tell you, it's a terrible place to be. And the anger there was because I didn't know how I could try anymore. Because I was looking in myself, inside. I was looking within for the answer, when the answer to this problem is never within me. The answer to this problem was within my relationship with God. 
And it did all change. I thank the Lord. Hallelujah. I am so happy not to be that miserable person anymore. And I would say when you talk about pride, Victoria, it wasn't real pride. Pride is I'm better than everybody, right? It was false pride. Well, I'm better than everybody, but nobody knows it. You see, nobody recognizes it. Or I'm at least as good as other people. So I could never come out and just be really proud. It was false pride. Like, well, I may have done that well, but people uh, people don't know underneath, you know, what kind of person I really am. And um, it, it, it has, like I said, it's convoluted. It has a lot of wrinkles. It has a lot of texture. It has a lot of tentacles. And it gets in, it, it got into my life and it wrapped me up and bound me up so tight. I was so sick and so tired. I didn't want to live. That's how desperate I was when God finally, I got to the end of myself. Like, I can't do this, not another day. And when I got to the end of myself, guess who was there? <laughs> God was there. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he said, are you done now? Are you done with that? And I'm like, I'm so done with this. And then he showed me himself and his answer. Rhonda, let's say that we have a listener now who can so relate to what you are sharing. And as a matter of fact, it's almost like a fire hose coming my way because I've been (laughs) feverishly writing notes and I can relate to a lot of this and it's, but it seems a little bit overwhelming at the same time. And when you speak about coming to the end of yourself, let's say there's a listener who's not quite there, not quite at that moment or point of realization, recognition, desperation, but that speaker can say, you know what, I can't relate to this, but I certainly can relate to these other aspects, or this kind of made me a little uncomfortable, or boy, my ears perked up to that, (laughs) what she was saying, then how would you, what, what would you say to that person who recognizes that Yes, I I'm struggling with this issue myself. What is the the way out or you can also describe your healing process, that moment where you were at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom calling out for God and what happened from there or what can what can we do if we relate but we're maybe not to the bottom of the bottom, but <laughs> to some aspect of that, what do we do, practically speaking, to turn things around? Well, first of all, I will say, I believe that there are people listening right now who have symptoms of an orphan heart, and they've never known what to call it. Mm. So I will say, if you're doing that self-check, first of all, check your relationships to God. Are you trying to earn his love? Are you angry because you see him as demanding? Have you indicted God? Have you made decisions about God that just indict him, that he's not fair, that he's not just, that he loves everybody else, but he doesn't love you? So that's check mark number one. What's your relationship to God? Check mark number two. What's your relationship to other people? Do you easily become jealous? Are you super highly competitive? Uh, do you find it hard to rejoice in the accomplishments of other people? 
Um, do you use other people to fulfill your own goals rather than serving them from a heart of love? Are you controlling? Do you uh, lecture or do you listen and, and allow people to disagree with you? Are you the one that always has to be right? You might have an orphan heart. And then the third, so it's relationship to God, it's relationship to others, but then it's also your relationship to yourself. Do you self-comfort? And I did a lot of this. It's one of the reasons I developed the weight problem, through indulging yourself in activities or appetites or relationships. Rather than seeking the comfort of the Holy Spirit, do you try to comfort yourself? That's a key signal of an orphan heart. Are you determined, like the heroine in the, in the excerpt I read, to be independent, to take care of yourself rather than relying on and trusting anyone else. If you are one of those ruggedly independent people who won't let anybody help you because you can take care of yourself, thank you. You might have an orphan heart. And I would say you have to recognize this monster before it can be slain. You have to know what you're dealing with and you have to start uh, not just looking at the tentacles, but look where they follow into the head of this beast that has developed in your life. You have to recognize from the symptoms, you know, as you're like a doctor, you have to recognize and diagnose from the symptoms, well, what's the disease? Because a lot of us, I, I say we mow down weeds. We go out in our yard and we mow down the weeds. But if you don't pull, and they grow back. If you don't pull them up and get them out by the root, they're going to come back. And that is the same with this orphan heart problem. And if it's time, I can share with you what God did with me. Um, oh, and absolutely. <laughs> and I also wonder, what is the root of an orphan heart? I think the root of an orphan heart is fear. See, I believe there are two things in life that, that really control us. And one is fear, and the other is rejection. And the thing about an orphan heart is it has both. It has both. And I would say the person who's developed the orphan heart fears rejection. And it manifests in the fear of rejection by people. But it mostly manifests in the fear of God's rejection. God's rejection. I knew a woman who had an orphan heart, definitely. And any time my husband opened the altar for prayer, she was there pouring out her God, herself to God and saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I mean, almost every week, Victoria, it, it broke my heart for her because, and that's even before I got my healing. And I tell you, it is a God intervention that changes this. And, and lest any of your listeners think, well, I can fix this. No, you can't. I'm sorry. This is bigger than you. It was bigger than me. And, and sister, I had all the answers. Right? I was the one counseling other people, but I couldn't heal myself. It was God who came along and intervened. And eventually, I ran into the end of myself. I was so very sick, and I ended up going to a revival service at another church. And my poor little husband, he preached his heart out to me, both from the pulpit and, and in just personal love. But my husband couldn't fix me. He tried, but he, didn't, he could not fix me. I needed to, number one, come to the end of myself. And I had to confess that condition to God. And what happened to me, I was in a church service, and I don't know, different people have different traditions in faith. 
but I was not a person who was very often in a service like this, but I went to a service with another friend and, and, um, the minister was operating in a spiritual gift that I didn't really know much about, a uh, word of knowledge. He just knew things. People would say, you, you know, he could read your mail. He just knew things by the Spirit. And when he was full of the Spirit and in the service, he came over to me. And I'm like, oh, please don't notice me. And he just, real tender look on his face. And he said, sister, he didn't know me. I had no idea who I was. Sister, you don't believe God loves you. And my immediate reaction was, I've, I've been a Christian since I was four years old. I'm a pastor's wife. So of course I know God loves me. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know. And, but the minute he said that, I knew he was right. And the reason I gave in is because the Holy Spirit was right there. And he pressed on me. And he said, Ron, he's right. And because of my... Um, relationship with God. I wouldn't say I didn't, didn't have a relationship with God. I did have a, have a relationship with him. But inside, I had been denying his love. So what it took for me was a change. And it started with a change in what I said. And I said out, a lot, out loud. I didn't say, well, of course I know God loves me, right? In that moment, in that God moment, I said, well, then, Lord, I receive your love. And I tell you, it was like a freight train hit me. I did not know what hit me in that moment. It's like I, I could weep for the joy of that burden lifting off of me. And people might say, well, that's silly. You can't have such a big change just with five little words. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because I did. Five little words. Lord, I receive your love. And I wouldn't say that's the end of it. But it was a change of of that inner voice, that inner thought that I was thinking, and, and I started catching myself. See, I went from there just full of joy, believing God really loves me. Then I started looking for evidence in my life that he did love me. And guess what? It was everywhere. Mm. It was everywhere, the evidence that he loved me. But I was pushing away that evidence and only believing the evidence that agreed with those vows I've made as a child and as a young woman. When I changed my way of looking things and began looking for his blessings, I could see them everywhere. And when those thoughts would come up, when I would feel jealous or when I would feel adequate, it was no longer, Rhonda, you're just such a bad person. God's never going to love you. I just shut off that voice because guess what? That was, that was from the enemy of my soul. He had told me lies that I believed, and I had repeated those lies inside of myself. So I had to quit. I had to quit that. And when those thoughts came, I had to do what's in the Word. You know, take those thoughts captive and make them obey Jesus, right? So when those thoughts came along, and I would say, you're not fill in the blank. You're not uh, pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not loving enough. Uh, I would say, oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. And devil, get behind me. Just the way Jesus said, I don't believe that anymore. This is what I believe. And I learned to fight back with the word. If you look in the word, there are so many affirmations <laughs> that God loves everyone. He doesn't just love certain people. He doesn't pick favorite child and push away the, the ugly one or the deformed one or the inadequate one. 
he loves everyone and those verses are there and so i started it's in i want to say it's in Zephaniah, the verse where it says god gets up off of the throne and he twirls around he has you written on the palm of your, your, his hand he knows how many hairs are in your head you know when i started letting the truth of that get into me it uprooted a, a lifetime of self-condemnation. See, because God wasn't condemning me. There was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It wasn't God condemning me. It was me condemning me. It wasn't even people condemning me, although they did. But that's not what significantly mattered. What mattered inside was who did I agree with? Who did I agree with? And I had to agree with God. See, because I had said, Lord, I receive your love. And it changed everything. Your message and your testimony is so powerful, Rhonda. And I am just blown away. I'm so grateful that you have shared your heart, that you had you have opened the lid to a a big, huge can of worms, I think, that we need to hear. And I'd like to take a moment to read the scriptures that are the basis of my ministry. And even this podcast, Choose to Think, Start with a Grateful Heart, my blog and website. And you've described a process that I also went through, or at least started in 2016. And I I just marvel at the progression that you had is very similar to the progression that I've had. And you've, you've alluded to some of these verses. So the first one is, or is second Corinthians 10, three through five, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that is the very first step. Um, I mean, after, yes, you acknowledge, okay, I receive your love, God, uh, love from you, God, I receive that love. And then from there, you began to take every single thought captive and you brought those under the submission of what God said about them and his truth. And then you actually replaced them, which is such a key principle here. You said, nope, I'm not going to partner with the enemy of my soul. I'm not going to agree with the lies. Instead, I'm going to agree with what God says in his word, in his truth. And in Philippians 4, 8, we read that it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And that's exactly what you did. You said, no, I'm not going to do the what is false and not true. I am going to focus on and to dwell on and to think about what is true. And then finally, what we see now is your healing and that wonderful step, the joy, the gratitude that you've you've so expressed and demonstrated that now is within you. And that reminds me of how you are now walking with a renewed mind. In Romans 12, 2, it says, 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's what you've explained, really, your transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then just another little tag on verse I have is from 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so it brings us full circle to your calling, your job, where you delight. And and you're putting words to paper. You are sharing with the world who needs really good media these days. You're putting out books and blog posts. And you're using this wonderful craft that God has given you, your very calling, and you're delighting in that. That's his will for you in part. And to to share that with others, not only your testimony, but but you're also your your craft and your trade. And so it's such a fun place to be. And I have to say I'm right, I feel like I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, that's that's why God put fun. us together years ago. Yes. I would share one more verse, and that is first John three one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. We are children of God. And I have begun on my website. I think I'm the only Rhonda Dragomir in the universe. So if they can spell my name, they can find me online. Um, I've started a blog called the Orphan Heart Blog. And I will be, be uh, in the coming years, uh, blogging there about the Orphan Heart attitude and um, identifying some of its tentacles and helping people realize how they can get and uh, that is really my heart, the fiction that I'm writing. Um, I've just finished my debut novel. I'm looking for a publisher right now. But all of the heroines in my books are women with an orphan heart. And all of them through on their journey through uh, this, this fictional story, all of them come to see how much they are loved. And uh, that's my desire for, for you, Victoria, and for all of your listeners, that we would learn to revel in the love of God, because it is so vast and so great, we can't even begin to comprehend it. And I would say amen. What a beautiful picture you have painted. And Rhonda, I will put in the show notes all of your information, the links to your blog, your book, your author's page, and just let everyone know where they can get in touch with you and find you. But thank you so much for blessing me, for blessing the listeners, I'm quite sure. And I really uh, appreciate your time here. You're very welcome, Victoria. And I thank you for this opportunity to share the message God's given. I hope that you've been inspired and truly touched by this sweet but serious message today. I loved Rhonda's checklist of questions that we can ask ourselves. How is our relationship with God? What's it like with others? And what is my relationship like with myself? You know, answering these questions might be a good way to end out 2020 and may help you set your feet on a new and exciting path for 2021. And say, don't forget about the Fired Up Mind Challenge. I want to see you there. We're going to help you put feet to your faith in that challenge as well, one thought at a time. And now let's pray. Hey. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for creating each one of us in your image, for putting your stamp of love upon our hearts, and for giving us purpose in your kingdom to be influencers for you and for your glory. May your love so infiltrate us to our very core that we are on fire for you and for your business. May we come to truly understand what it means to live our lives as an heir to the one true King. In Jesus' name, amen. And until next year, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.